know it may feel a little weird, but it's natural, it's biblical, we don't do it enough, breath. Uh, Father Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan priest, uh, he says that what serves us well in our 20s and in our 30s, some of the very things that make us successful, the things that make us stand out, start to strangle us in our 40s and in our 50s. That's kind of his explanation for what happens in the uh, cliche midlife crisis that a lot of us experience. And uh, I first came acquainted with his thoughts on that at a pivotal time in my life. It was right when I was turning 40. And I found a lot of truth there, that some of the very things that, I, 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 that served me well, that made me successful, that helped me stand out in my 20s and 30s, it started to feel like those things were closing in on me. And instead of having a midlife crisis in the usual way, I decided to do something else. I connected with a counselor slash spiritual director, and, uh, and I, I began uh, seeing him to work through some things. So for about a year, I drove um, regularly into the city to where his office was, and uh, I chose him because he had an approach that was very much aligned with the things that I was looking for, but I also chose him because he was in the city, and I wanted to get away from all of you, uh, all of this. Uh, I just wanted to have some space and some anonymity there, and, uh, and I'm so grateful for the experience, his counsel, his spiritual direction along with some other things that I read and uh, just things I experienced, they help me, they're helping me, I should say, reconstruct a life that I'm more excited about living for what I presume to be the second half of my life here on earth. And yet I realized that even this admission, that it might make some people uncomfortable. Because after all, as a pastor, I'm supposed to kind of have my act together. And being close to Jesus is supposed to mean that all of your problems go away, or at least if you have problems, you just go to Jesus and he solves all those problems. So the admission that a guy who shouldn't have problems has problems may be alarming for you. And it's not lost on me. And in fact, I've been thinking about how 30, 40, 50 years ago, making just such a simple admission of, of needing to see a counselor, that might've cost me my ministry. We've come a long way. And that's in part due to the fact that mental health is something that we can no longer ignore. Starting with the acts of violence that happen in our world regularly, often because of people who suffer from different mental illnesses, just a recent one in Virginia Beach, and we don't know the circumstances, but may God be merciful to all who are affected there. Those things have gotten our attention. Or on the celebrity landscape, uh, someone shared with me the lyrics to a song, uh, a Linkin Park song. Any Linkin Park fans from back in the day? I th- I'll take that sneeze as a yes. Um, as one of them. Uh, it's a song called Heavy. Someone shared the lyrics. I didn't know this song. It's a newer one. Uh, the lyrics go like this. I don't like my mind right now. Stacking up problems that are so unnecessary. Wish that I could slow things down. I want to let go, but there's comfort in the panic. And I drive myself crazy thinking everything's about me. Yeah, I drive myself crazy because I can't escape the gravity. I'm holding on. Why is everything so heavy? Holding on so much more than I can carry. I keep dragging around what's bringing me down. If I just let go, I'd be set free holding on. Why is everything so heavy? 
Uh, this song was released in February 2017, just a couple years ago, and the critics hated it. The, the album sounded nothing like Linkin Park's other stuff. They said it was like poppy, and they said it was filled with teenage angst. And they made fun of it. And then five months later, maybe you're aware, five months later, frontman Chester Bennington, the songwriter, the singer, he committed suicide. Maybe we're finally ready to admit that angst isn't something that only teenagers face. 44 million Americans suffer from a mental illness, a mental health diagnosis of some sort. That's 18% of the adult population. In our kids, adolescents over the last four years have seen an increase in major depressive episodes at a rate of 50% greater than four years ago. Our homeless shelters, our juvenile criminal justice system is filled with people who have uh, mental health diagnoses. But see, I don't think that's what's changed our thinking about this. I think what's changed our thinking, the reason we've come such a long way in the last 30, 50 years, is because all of us have a mother or a father or a spouse or a son or a daughter or maybe a sibling who we we have watched, someone we love who's trying so hard and we've watched them struggle with mental health. See, whether you have a diagnosis or not, can any of us sitting here today argue that the state of our minds are all that they could be or should be? And you see, for us as Christians, this is even more significant than public health issues. For us as Christians, where does transformation begin according to the Bible? It's an important question. I think for some of us, we would assume that it's, it's in our habits. You know, if you clean up your sleep or your eating, if you do the right things, then you'll have health or our transformation. Or some of us would assume it's spiritual disciplines. If you just pray harder, if you believe more deeply, or if you just are more obedient or you're more repentant or you have greater faith, then you'll experience a transformed life. But according to the scriptures, that's not where transformation begins. All of that's important. All of that's significant. It's a part of the picture. Those are all puzzle pieces in this very confusing and complex issue. But according to scripture, that's not where it begins. See, Paul, a guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he says that transformation begins in our minds. Romans 12, maybe it's a scripture you've heard of before. It says, therefore, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and he just spent 11 chapters talking about God's mercy, I I urge you then to offer your bodies, your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What does God want? He wants you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. But how do you get there? He goes on, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where does transformation start for Christians? With the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Maybe the reason we see such a lack of transformation in our churches, the reason that Christians look no different than everyone else, is because we've neglected the mind. But there's this other thing I want to point out here that Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So I want to talk about the pattern or the patterns of the world. That's an important phrase, I think, and and most translations don't render it this way, and there may be reason for that. But I'm drawn to this word, this this idea of pattern. Uh, Maybe some of that's because when I hear pattern, I immediately go back to my childhood, to my mom. Uh, She's an excellent seamstress. And so I remember this, you know, like, you guys know this stuff? Have you seen this before? 
McCall's or Simplicity or Vogue. Anyone know the language I'm speaking right now? Um, this crinkly, you know, pattern stuff that she'd lay out and she'd pin to fabric and she'd cut it out and she'd lay that all together and, and she would make clothes. And she made some of my clothes when I was a kid and I was so embarrassed. Now it would be so cool, but I was so embarrassed. I just wanted store-bought clothes. My mom made my clothes. It was so lame. And now I'm like, gosh, I was living the dream. I had a tailor making my own clothes. Um, I, I didn't realize that I was so far ahead, but... Um, but, but that's what I think of when I hear Romans 12. I think of, of patterns. I think of templates. And for most of my life, uh, when I heard these words from Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, I, I thought, oh, okay, that, that's about our behavior. Don't let the world be your template. Don't copy off other people. Don't, don't let them become the, the template of the life that you live and the way that you behave. Now I'm hearing those words a little different because pattern can mean something else, not template, but a pattern is also a predictable recurring sequence. Like this, right? Remember this? And it gets more sophisticated as we go, but from a young age, we're, ter- we're, we're taught to spot patterns. So on that bottom row, what you, you don't see it, but what do you expect is going to come next after that last house? A rainbow, right? Because it's a predictable recurring sequence. And now when I hear Paul, that's, that's what comes to mind, the patterns of this world. And who of us here haven't found ourselves stuck in these patterns, lying awake at night in a predictable, recurring sequence of thoughts ruminating over and over and over again, and we want to sleep and we can't? Or how many of us have found ourselves in the middle of a moment in life where, where we should be experiencing joy? It's a joy-filled moment, but we can't access the moment because our minds are going around in, in, these, in these patterns, in these scripts, these uh, predictable, recurring sequences of thoughts over and over and over again, and they're keeping us from accessing the joy that should be ours in that moment. See, Paul says it here. He says that what's getting in the way of our transformation, what's getting in the way of so much else in life is that we we keep on being conformed to these patterns. And he says that transformation all starts in the mind, which is why we're doing a series on the mind. We don't talk about it enough, but Paul says this is the key to so much other transformation. And so we're going to talk about it throughout the series. But, but for today, I want to talk about something that's, that's so closely related. It's actually from the same book of the Bible, the book of Romans. Paul talks about the mind a lot here. Romans chapter 8. I want you to see what Paul says here. He says, those who live according to the flesh. Now, uh, when Paul talks about flesh, we mistakenly think he's talking about our bodies. And so flesh and body becomes the same, and we get this weird idea that our spirits are good, but our bodies are bad. Our spirits are good, our flesh, our bodies are evil. But that's not the kind of flesh that he's talking about. Paul's not talking about our bodies. When he says flesh, he's talking about ungodly things, sinful things. Uh, So flesh is the ungodly stuff or the sinful stuff. And later on, we're going to see that that spirit is the godly stuff. So sometimes we say things are spiritual or unspiritual, and we don't necessarily mean that, that, that the spirit's there and the spirit's not there. Unspiritual kind of means ungodly. It's the same thing. But, but he says those who live according to ungodly ways or sinful ways have their minds set on what those ungodly or sinful things desire. But those who live accordance with, with the spirit, with godly things, godly ways, have their minds set on what, what really the Spirit 
desires. See, Paul's not only helping us understand these kind of different parts of ourselves, but he's also helping us understand cause and effect. So often when we look at our lives and we see behavior that is ungodly or unspiritual, what do we do? We, we say, well, you've got to change your behavior. You've got to repent. You've got to change your action. Repentance is actually a change of mind, not a change of action, first and foremost. And Paul makes it so clear here that if you want to change your behavior, you don't just start with behavior. Instead, you start with where your mind is set, whether it's a matter of flesh or ungodly action or, the mind, or, or a matter of uh, spiritual godly action. He goes on in the next verse and he says this. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life in peace. Again, the question, if you're living here in death and if that's what life feels like, how do you get to life in peace? Paul says it's all about where your mind is set. So let's talk about mindset. And and this is not a silver bullet for everything related to transformation, certainly not a silver bullet related to everything related to, uh, to mental health. But your mindset is more responsible for, for more in life than you can imagine. See, more significant than the good or bad things that happen to you, the events of your life or the circumstances of your life, your mindset is a determining key on whether those things that happen to you, those things that you experience, whether they end up being blessings or curses, whether they end up leading you to death or life in peace. More than the events that you experience, it's about your mindset, which is why we've all experienced this. Two different people experiencing the same circumstances, the same events, and they affect those people so differently. To some, something happens, and we'd say, oh, that's tragic, and yet they grow from it, and they thrive, and, and some people, they receive something that we would call a blessing. Man, that's, that's an amazing gift, and, and yet it, it crushes them, and we say, how can this happen? Because it's not about the circumstances. It's about our mindset. I mean, just think for a second about Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I brought up Oprah a couple of weeks ago. It was on Easter, and I, I compared her to the Antichrist, and I was joking, but now I'm making up for it. Uh, I'm going to give Oprah a fair shake. Uh, Oprah is still one of the richest, most influential women in the entire world. And some of you um, may know, I think some people don't fully know, that Oprah didn't have a great start. She grew up under chronic familial sexual abuse. She ran away from home at uh, age 14. She was pregnant. She gave birth to a son who died a short time after birth. Now, now, tragically, there are millions of women, not just women, but people, but especially women who right now are living under sexual abuse. It's way too frequent, way too prevalent. And uh, we also know that there are millions of women who find themselves in, in pregnancies and teenage years, and, and we know lots of women, some of you are sitting here today, who have lost a child right after birth, and, and we'd say those things are tragic, they're horrible, and we've watched as people have crumbled under the weight of those things, and understandably so. But then you look at Oprah and you say, all of that's working in her life, and yet she goes on to become Oprah. How, how does that happen? Is that fate? Is that destiny? Is that the will of God? That's kind of scary. Is that the will of God? Does God just determine that? Is it biological determinism, or could it be mindset? 
Uh, Victor Frankl, maybe that's a name that you also know, a concentration camp survivor. He wrote a book called The Man's Search for Meaning and a lot of other stuff. Uh, he says this, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. That's, that's the last human freedom we have, to choose one's own way. I couldn't agree more, but I would actually build on that and say the freedom that we have is not just to choose our attitude regardless of our circumstances. The freedom that we have is to choose the story that we tell about all that's happening to us, what it's about, what it's for, and what it all means. See, we've got the power to assign meaning through the stories that we tell. And that's exactly what we do, whether we realize it or not. See, every one of us have inherited a mindset, a story, a script from the world around us. And that's our problem. It's not about the circumstances we encounter or the hardships or the tragedy. It's that we have inherited a mindset. It's been loaded into our infant brains as a result of our sinful nature, these patterns of the world that Paul talks about. It's, it's been put into us, and then life keeps adding to it. The things that our parents say or teachers or other authority figures say, bad or good. I add to it the stuff that the mean kids where the cool kids on the playground say, can add to it the things that our culture celebrates and says are beautiful and noteworthy and the things that our culture says are ugly and shameful. Or just even the stories that our culture, that our media loves to tell. All of those things begin to build a a whole way of thinking, a mindset that's been put into our brains without us even noticing it. And then we go on through life with this way of thinking, these patterns from the world that we've inherited that are unspiritual, they're ungodly in origin, and we never take time to evaluate them. We never take time to question them. We just go on conforming to them, and the result is death and strife and hatred and jealousy and envy and anger and violence. And I would add to that list anxiety and depression And I'm not saying any of this is simple. Someone mentioned to me earlier, it's not a fly that you can just brush off your shoulder. But because what starts in our minds begins to affect our biochemistry. It changes our our hormones, our neurotransmitters. Some would even argue it affects how our DNA works. But, But here's the thing. Life and circumstances aren't the real problem. The stories that we tell ourselves about what all of that means, what all of that's for, that's our problem. And so I want to ask you today to begin to think about what your script sounds like. I want you to think about the stories that you tell yourself over and over again. How does it read for you And I know this may sound overly simplistic that there's a singular script that we kind of read over and over again, but but I think it's actually true that, that there's a pretty simple script that all of us have that we layer over the events or the circumstances of our life to give them meaning or purpose or to understand them. And we think it's objective reality. We think it's God given truth. We think we see clearly what's happening. But it's actually a story or a script that's been informed by these patterns that we've inherited from a sinful world. 
And that, I think, so often is what's keeping us away from life and peace. See, see this is what I've, I've learned about myself, that it's not about the circumstances of my life. Over the last couple of years, through counseling and spiritual direction and study and, and, and just seeking God, uh, the problem is not the circumstances of my life. But, but when life gets tough and when we're feeling bad and when we're overwhelmed and we're anxious and we're depressed, what do we often think? We think it's about the circumstances of life. What, what do we say? We say, well, it's that job I have. That job is so stressful and that job is so public. And, and, and right? I mean, my job is stressful and public. Some of you, no one knows whether you're doing well at work or not. You don't even know. It's like buried in some department line item somewhere. You you don't know if you're winning or not. You hope your boss doesn't ever find out because you're just glad flying under the radar. For me, everybody knows whether I'm doing well or not. You go home and talk about it on Sunday afternoon. You're like, he struggled this week, yeah? Everybody knows it, and, and so, right? So I can tell myself, oh man, it, see, it's the circumstances. It's that stressful job. It's that everybody knows. It's so public. Or it's the challenge of raising kids. I've got two teenagers in the house, or making a marriage work after all of these years, or, or it's about my limited resources of money or time, or it's about overcoming the trauma in my life or the, or the things that happened to me. And, and, and we, we just point to the events of our lives, the circumstances, as if those are the things that are leaving us where we are, it's struggling or anxious or depressed or just not or just not well but the problem is not the circumstances those things certainly inform but 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 the problem is the script and i don't know how your script reads but i'm going to tell you today how my script reads because over the last couple of years i've become more acquainted with this script that I'm reading over and over again in, in times of hardship, I read it in times of joy and blessing. I read the same story over and over again. Now, maybe your script is uh, something that is more like in, you keep it in a moleskin or a notebook. Uh, maybe for some of you, you keep your script on a three by five card. Maybe some of you are high tech. It's on like a thumb drive or it's stored in the cloud. Uh, my script, I keep on a scroll because scrolls are cool. And I have a dramatic flair. Um, and uh, in all honesty, and this is, this is uh, kind of vulnerable to share, um, this, this, this is the story that runs in my mind all the time. Life is one endless journey of suffering. Not necessarily for all people. Some people have joy and ease, friends and happiness. It all comes easy for them, but not for you. You are here to suffer, and suffer you shall. Don't expect anyone to notice your care. They won't see you or understand what you have to endure. And most will abandon you when you need them most. But if you suffer well, then maybe someday someone will recognize your tender, noble spirit And they'll see all you've endured, and they'll love you for it. Over and over again, this is the story I tell. And uh, this is a story that keeps me in the moment of just what should be joy from actually experiencing that joy. I'm not not here for joy. Joy's for other people. I'm I'm here to suffer. It's the thing that keeps me um, just, you know, interpreting people's actions and my relationships in the way that I do. See, see, that's my script, but my script isn't important. What's important is that you begin to understand what your script is because you have one too. And it's probably not a lot longer than mine, 
but you're reading from it all the time, and it's so important that you begin to first learn to recognize what your script contains. What is it saying over and over again? For some of you, it might be, you're never going to be good enough no matter how hard you try. For some of you, it's going to be that that you're a fraud and people just think that you're doing well, but the moment they get to know the real you or what's behind the scenes, they're all going to leave you or abandon you. Or or for some of you, it's, it's you are not safe and you have to be vigilant at all times. You can never be safe and you can't trust anyone. And for some of you, it's if I let my guard down, people will control me and dominate me. And, and for some of you, it's you're worthless, you're ugly, you're stupid. I, I don't know what's in your script. And it's not even important that I know. But you need to understand what it is, the script that you read from over and over and over again. And if you're at a loss, if you have no idea if this sounds crazy, uh, maybe something like the Enneagram can help you. We just did a whole series on this earlier in the year called The Nine Paths. Uh, It kind of puts us all in nine different categories. And and this has helped me a ton to understand more about my script and and the story that I tell myself. I I read some of these words and I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so true in my soul. And and maybe it can speak truth to you. Maybe, Maybe it's a script about a loss of connection or being harmed or controlled by others or being unworthy of love or or being incapable or deficient or uh, a script of scarcity. I don't know what it is, but you need to learn what that script is, what the story you tell yourself is over and over again, because it's not about the circumstances. It's not about the events of life. It is the meaning that you make of it, and you have inherited a story from the world around you. And without examining it, we just kind of repeat it over and over and over again. And until we acknowledge it, we're never going to get free. We're never going to find life in peace. As long as our mindset stays fixed there, we won't know transformation. But this goes deep, these scripts. In fact, Friday morning... Uh, let me tell you about Friday mornings. Friday mornings for me are um, one of the most stressful days of my week. I'm up against my final deadline to get my message finished and turned in for production. It's also a pretty sacred time for me. I hold what I do pretty, uh, pretty seriously, and I want to do a good job. And so I'm, I'm very dialed in. Friday morning is a time where I am focused. I need to focus. I don't want any interruptions, and everyone in our organization knows that. If Dion is preaching the next day, Saturday and Sunday then don't bother him on Friday morning, not until he comes out of his office and he's got that look of relief on his face. Do you ask him anything? Otherwise, just leave him alone. So Friday morning, I'm, I'm sitting there and uh, working on this message, and uh, this message, and I, uh, I get a message from a coworker asking me to deal with an urgent issue right in the middle of this sacred time frame when no one is supposed to bother me. So uh, let's just talk about the the objective facts, the reality of this case, okay? These are the circumstances. I have a big deadline. That's true. It's 11 o'clock on Friday. It's important work. I think you'd all agree this is important. You want me to take it seriously, right? You hope I take it seriously. Um, I, I need to focus. That's true. Everyone in our organization is aware. This is not a secret. Everybody knows. And I have an unwelcomed interruption. These are the facts, this is the truth. This is, this is real. But as I sat there Friday morning, and this all is unfolding in front of me, and I'm writing a message on this very thing, guess what I did? 
I didn't look just at the facts or the circumstances objectively. Immediately, this all unfolded, and I unrolled my script over that, and here's, here's what I saw. Am I the only person here who can get anything done? Why, why doesn't anyone care about my work? Why, why doesn't anyone care about me? I get no respect here. Do I have to carry the load for everything? Has everything got to fall on my shoulders? I guess it does. I am all alone. These patterns that the world has given us, that life has given us, they're deep. So much so that this happens and I go to what I just told you while I'm writing a message about this. It is so hard not to go there. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that if you can identify your script, then maybe you can recognize when that becomes what I just told you. And and before you go off, and don't worry, I didn't hurt anybody on Friday, but... Before you go off and tell the story that you tell over and over again, you can pause. And you can begin to question, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is is that true? And not only can you pause and begin to question it, but in that sacred pause, here's what can happen. Then the Spirit of God has an opportunity to speak over you things that are true. See, this is why it's so important that you begin to identify your script so that you can also pause instead of just reading from it again and again when you layered over the events of life. And it's so hard to do, but, but when you pause, you've got the spirit of the living God who wants to renew your mind and transform your life. And, and he is speaking things over you that you need to hear a truer script, a better story In fact, right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. And just listen to what the Spirit of God is speaking over you. I I don't know what's in your script. I don't know how it reads. But I know what the Spirit of God is saying over you. And maybe maybe now, just this is a benefit of church, that sometimes it's just a space where we can shut off the script and we can pause and we can open up our hearts and minds to something new, a new story, a new narrative, new patterns that are not of the flesh, that are not unworldly, but instead they're, they're from God and they're true and they're objective and they're real and they're transforming. So right now with your eyes closed, I want you to hear what the Spirit of God is saying over you. The story that he's speaking over your life. Spirit of God says, you are never alone. I know sometimes it feels like you're alone. Sometimes you feel abandoned. Maybe in life you have been abandoned. But you're never alone. I I am with you and I am faithful and I will be your companion to the very end. I am with you. I am for you. Never for a moment believe that you're alone. God says, and you are enough. You are enough. Take what you are and what you have and put it in my hands. It's enough. With me, there will always be enough. With me, there's plenty. Spirit of God says, you are capable. 
capable. With me, you can do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. Uh, You can do all things through the power of Christ that lives within you. So so don't believe for a moment that you, you can't do anything. You're incapable or you're unworthy. That's not true. You are so capable. Spirit of God says you are good in the beginning. My creative power looked upon you in your, in your created form. And I said, you are very good. And in the life and death of my son, I declared it over you all over again, this time with an exclamation point. You are good. In spite of all of the brokenness and bad that lives in you, I don't care. I don't see that. I declare you are good. And what I say goes. And you're wanted. I've given you adoption into my family. I've invited you into my family. I've made you my own. I've given you a seat at my table. You are not a misfit. You are not an outcast. I want you within my own household to be in communion and community with me. And you are loved. You are loved for who you are. Not for what you can do for me or for anyone else but I see you and know you just as you are and I love you as you are for who you are. I don't know what's in your script, but just keep your eyes closed for a minute and just in this sacred pause, listen and see if maybe the Spirit of God has a new story to tell you a new pattern that he wants to conform your mind and heart and being to just just listen someone argue that the state of our minds can't change. That we're either healthy or we're sick. That we're either broken or whole. Truth is, we are all both. And that's the truth. And I'll acknowledge that healing of the mind is no small thing. It doesn't happen quickly. Today I want to ask you, do you believe what the scriptures say? Do you believe that with God and for God, all things are possible? Do you believe that? But instead of running too far ahead of ourselves, what I'm not saying today is that you should go and flush your meds and give up whatever else that you're, you're using to try to help you stay mentally healthy. Those may be good things, and these are complex issues. But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Instead of, instead of going extreme with this, what if we just started, in addition to all of that, to pay attention to the scripts that we read from? And what if instead of just reading from them when things happen to us in life, instead of just running off and reading from that same script, what if we begin to pause and question them and say, wait a minute, is this true? And what if in that pause we listen to the script that the Spirit of God is rewriting for us and speaking over us, renewing our minds through the new script, the better script, the truer script he's writing? And what if without putting any additional pressure on ourselves, because God knows we put so much pressure on ourselves, what if we decided to wait and see what God could do? 
tell you what I believe would happen if we just are willing to, to pay attention to these scripts. The state of our minds would improve and we'd experience transformation in God's time, in God's way, but we would have more of it. Right now, I just want to encourage you maybe just to continue to open yourself up to uh, what the Spirit of God is saying or meditate on this, uh, this great psalm. be clear about something. God doesn't need that invitation. That's not for him, this psalm, search me, oh God, know my heart. That's, that's not for God's sake. God already knows what's in your heart. He already searches the deepest parts of you. He sees what's beautiful in you. He sees what's offensive in you. That's stuff he, he already knows. He's not waiting for your invitation in order to discover all of that. See, the invitation of of that psalm is really more about you. It's so that you might know that this whole journey, you're not on your own. And that God wants to join you with all of his insight and all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his power and his kindness to help renew you and heal you and transform you the reason we need to pray psalms like that so that we can remind ourselves that we are not alone, that we have a God who wants to join us, which is exactly what our God does in this gift we're about to celebrate. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way also after supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood and it's shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. God is present. His table is set. He invites you to come and receive his grace and power, his very self. So welcome to the Lord's table.